Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 127 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. Yo. And my husband Dylan's the sound recordist. Hello. Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone, and especially Dylan. Yeah, yes. mostly Dylan this time. Hi. Dylan, how are you today? Yes, I get the most special in one. I'm sick. <laughs> You're sick. <laughs> oh, you are? Yeah, I gotta. He woke up today, and it's like... I'm sure a lot of listeners will will empathize with this, is that you're you're not sure, you're like, is it COVID? I don't know. Correction. Sometimes you wake up and your wife says to you, I think it's COVID, and then she just keeps not letting it not be COVID. I take COVID tests all the time. It's one of my pastimes. <laughs> I have a dark confession. Ooh. I kind of like how it feels when you when you do the nose thing, when you do the test. Oh, what? What? What is it? <laughs> What? Is it like a sadomasochist, like Da Vinci yeah. Code guy that whips himself on the back? Maybe. I don't know, but I don't mind it. Well, good pull, Dylan. I kind of look forward to it. I'll, you know, represent the other 99.9% of the world and say I don't enjoy shoving that thing up my nose. Well, to each their own, right? Mm-hmm. To each their own. Hey, Joes, please chime in if you're a freak like Bailey and, and enjoy shoving that thing up your nose. I would be surprised if there's one other person that does. I would be surprised too. I have something exciting to share. It's a new reading experience for me. In all my years of reading, I've never experienced this before. It is related to one of my pieces of shame. I won't get into the whole list yet. We'll do that in its own segment. Uh, One of my shames is the science fiction novel, The Dark Forest by Xuxin Liu. Um, Are you guys familiar with this trilogy that it comes from? No spoilers, but I have read all three and I liked the second one the best. Oh, I kind of forgot you've read all three. Okay. When the first one came out, The Three-Body Problem, if you're not aware, it made a huge splash. It was like, you know, science fiction book of the year, widely publicized. And of course, I snapped it up. And I hated it. I really hated that book. If you haven't read it, it is largely concerned with many, many characters going into a simulation video game and doing math. That is like conservatively 70% of the book. Yes. And there's way more than three people in that book. Like, Well, the three-body problem is a math problem. Like, if there's a lot yeah, exactly. of math. I, I guess we were warned, if you do know what the three-body problem is, <laughs> you know that you know that it's a math problem going in, maybe you would have been more prepared. But I was not. I found the book incredibly tedious and terrible. Not terrible, but just very tedious, hard to get through. I wrote off the rest of the trilogy forever until I received one of the strongest recommendations I've ever gotten in my life from my friend Hugh, who said he hated the first book too out of some some like whim or like maybe an, a completionist urge. He started the second book and loved it and says the third book is good too. So with great trepidation, I started the second book and he's right. It's amazing so far. It's like, I wouldn't say a completely different book because they're recognizably the same author and style and everything and subject matter. But this one is like a tight, fast paced thriller with all sorts of stuff happening. Very little actual math so far. And I was marveling at how much I enjoyed it. And I realized I don't think I've ever had that experience where I read the first book in a series, strongly disliked it, and then tried another book in the series because usually that's enough for me. First of all, I just want to say I totally agree on the series. I totally agree with you, Toby. The third book is also very good, but it's just bonkers. Weird question. Can you read the second book while skipping the first book? I think probably. Did I just solve the three-body problem? <laughs> um, I This isn't this is kind of tangentially related, but I just read the uh, first book in the Court of Thorn and Roses series, and I thought it was oh. like fine. Um, I didn't really get the major hype, but 
my friends are like, read the second one, read the second one right now. <laughs> so my understanding is it's just going to get even crazier. This one's like Beauty and the Beast than Underground Hunger Games with a little bit of, you know, spice. Oh. Andrew, have, have you ever read a series like this where like you, you didn't like the first one, but you kept going for some reason? Uh, no. Um, I think sometimes I hear an entire series is good. And so if I Mm -hmm. don't like the first one, sometimes I'll give it another shot. But that's pretty rare. I guess it's like when people are like, oh, you're really going to like, you know, Schitt's Creek, but you have to, you know, speed through the first season. Yeah. Yeah. And then it really picks up in season three. And you're like, well, I don't know if I want to commit to that. That's the worst for like recommending stuff too, where it's like, look, you just have to stick through the first four hours. But (laughs) but the thing is, is they're right. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe people think that about our podcast. What if people are recommending our podcast? We're like, all right, you got to start at episode 50. Um, Well, that's a great question, Toby. Pedros, chime in if you have an opinion. I have a question for you, the group. Oh. If there were, let's say, a website, let's say called Words Rated, that offered to pay you $200 to read a book, just to finish a book. Would, would you do it? Well, here's the thing. <laughs> I would do it if that's actually what they were asking. I know. But they're not asking that. Phil, you might need to clarify. That sounded like an ad read. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to go back. So I think it was Dylan. You sent us this yeah, thing. Yeah. So it was, yeah. the headline is, website will pay you to read books, $200 a book. And so I'm like into it and uh-huh. so we were texting about it but it like andrew referenced you have to read it but then mark the number of sentences said by women and the numbers said by men and how many animals there are and stuff i don't know if i would do it but toby has applied so that's true spoiler alert for me uh i did apply i was like i'll read you your dang book for 200 bucks i'm you know i need a side hustle but uh no response No response whatsoever to the form that I took great care filling out. I think the big thing for me was that they said there's no time limit. Mm. You can like take a month to do one book. And I was like, I could make an extra 200 bucks a month, you know, slowly reading a book. Were you like, wait, I don't have to read this in like two weeks? I could just. Yeah. I guess you and Andrew have like four weeks in between huh, to read books. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Bailey pays me $200 every time I finish a book. (laughs) She do that for you, Andrew? No, she takes $200 from me every time I read a book. (laughs) That's where she's getting it. To give to Toby. (laughs) To give to Toby. To give to Toby. Yeah, it's a circular economy. (laughs) Andrew, would you do it? Would you do this this website? Absolutely not. (laughs) No, no. The amount of time it would take me to do that task would be inordinate, and I would, it would not be worth the $200. I would do it if... It was like whatever book I happened to be reading, but they assign you the book and like I assign you the book. Yeah, but it's from a book. You know, it's from a list of books that I picked. If they were like, if you have to read Band of Brothers, I'd be like, well, that would be easy because then you could say like woman's parts zero. (laughs) Yep. Well, Pages, if you're interested, it's called Words Rated is the name of the website. And they've rejected Toby. So maybe they'll accept you. <laughs> well, no, maybe maybe they're just processing. And so, wow, they, you know what they're doing? They're passing my application around, marveling at it. Or maybe there's no time limit. It's going to take them a month to read your application. Toby, it sounds like you might have some book shame. Well, yeah. Um, yeah, so it was recently my birthday. And I acquired uh, quite a few books from my lovely wife, Louise. So I will list them for you quickly. I got Ghost Story by Peter Straub. Stephen King counts it as like one of his favorite horror books. So pretty excited about that. I also got a book called The Three Imposters by Arthur Mackin. Um, And they're kind of like 
very old genre stories from like the 30s and 40s by this guy that I hadn't heard of, but seems pretty cool. I got Dawn by Octavia E. Butler, favorite of the podcast. She also got me Second Foundation by Isaac Asimov. And then she got me a one I'm really excited about called Roadside Picnic by Arkady and Boris Strugatsky. Finally, extra, extra shame. I got all those books. And then I went with Louise to the library and I just went ahead and rented because I'm insane. The Language of the Night, a collection of essays by Ursula K. Le Guin, which is incredible. And I'm going to dip in and out of until I have to return to the library. You know what? It's getting to be summer. In summer, we got to get a lot of books. We got to read a lot mm-hmm. of books. Didn't you literally say this mm-hmm. about winter and spring? I probably did. And fall. <laughs> <laughs> Every season. Well, that's exciting, Toby. I Happy birthday. You deserve you. all the shame in the world. <laughs> Oh, wow. What a what a phrase. Um, Andrew, can you answer a question for me? Would you like to review uh, a book by a noted comedy superstar? Yes. Please? <laughs> <laughs> yes, what? Yes, please. Yeah, no, I'll review a book by a comedy superstar. Yeah. Yeah. So as we just uh, hinted at, uh, I read a book this week um, by one Amy Poehler, um, and it was called Yes, Please. It's a, a memoir that she wrote about her life, as you might imagine a memoir is. Yes, Please is a book by Amy Poehler about her life. Not strictly an A, then B, then C memoir, Poehler lets the reader into her story from many angles, changing tactics and style as needed. It also serves as an advice book of sorts, using Amy Poehler's life as an illustration of the lessons and insights the author has had. It also has jokes and funny pictures, which I liked. So do you mean it's an A to C memoir? Dylan, we can't do improv jokes this whole time. But what if we can? You can do it. I just won't get that. I never took the classes, so I don't Wait, I don't understand we? your jokes. Andrew did improv, but he was just naturally talented. Oh. That's the thing. Yeah. I think we all we have all done some improv somewhere. Yes. Yes. And I took one class and then ran out of money forever. It, they're, they're stupid expensive. Anyway, that I, I it's good to know about the pictures, Andrew, because when I read this I read the audiobook. Maybe I should just pick it up at Barnes and Noble and look at the pictures. Billy, well, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, so here's the thing. You recommended the audio version of it. And I was like, oh, that sounds great. This was a, a book which I feel like would maybe even be improved by by reading it via audio. But then I sort of started thumbing through my copy and I was like, this plays with the form on the page and there's all these pictures. And so I decided to try it out a little bit reading um, from the physical copy, and then I, I ended up sticking with it. Gotcha. Good to know. So I didn't get to hear Seth Meyers' insert read in Seth Meyers' voice. I just had to imagine it. <laughs> Whatever. Um, Two stars. <laughs> negative stars. This was a very high-profile book when it came out. I'm sure everybody has seen the cover of her, you know, pointing at the neon sign that says, yes, please. I'm sure a lot of folks who listen to this podcast have even read this book. When I say it's not like a, a, an A, then B, then C memoir, she actually frames the book as being, I think I'm getting this wording right, a dispatch from the middle because she when she wrote this book she was 43 and so she's like I'm cresting into middle age I'm looking back at what has happened so far in my life but also very aware that I don't have a lot of distance on some things and that there's a hopefully you know like double or more of my life left to go so she says that and like tries to use that as a reasoning why she's not giving you like this is the day I was born and then next mm. the second day I lived even though she does actually go into detail <laughs> about the day um, the day she was born and that's a whole exercise thing in there about it. That's interesting because that's like a lot of people's memoirs is like, I still have a lot more life to live. It's like, yeah, but it didn't stop Joan Didion. She starts. I was just thinking like, when's the best time to write a <laughs> memoir? I don't know. 
How do you know you're ready? After you die. I guess so, after you die. <laughs> yeah, I think you just got to write it as you go. Yeah, play it as it lies. So yeah, that's sort of a context for it. I'll talk a little bit about my... or I, Before I move on, so Bailey, you've read it. Has anyone else read it on this I've read podcast? It. I have as well. I think, yeah, we all have. So every a clean sweep? I think mm-hmm. so. Yes, please. Wowzy, bowsy. <laughs> um, Wowzy, bowsy. Well, I feel like this was a fine book. I don't have much memories of it besides I liked listening to Amy Poehler narrate it. The one thing I remember, and I don't I hope this isn't spoiling one of your elves, is the phrase good for you, not for me, which I use mm. all the time. Use way too much. <laughs> which is what Amy Poehler suggests like if somebody's like, you know, I'm going to go swim the the deepest ocean in the world. I'll be like good for you, not for me. Yeah, I remember that being the Big difference between this and um, Bossy Pants and then what was Mindy Killing's book that came out at the same time. Is everyone hanging out without me? These three books came out relatively close to each other. And Bossy Pants and Everyone's Hanging Out Without Me, I thought was written more deeper about their lives. Whereas Amy Poehler seemed more like a, this is my mindset. Yeah, but it it seemed like positive and made me think like I need to judge people less. It's not like a self-help. It's not like a self-help inspirational book. It's just... Yeah. So that, that's my memories of it, but my memories are positive. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's pretty accurate. Yeah. She specifically brings that phrase in, I think, talking about people who are critical about like stay-at-home moms versus working moms mm-hmm. and how they're saying, like, you make the decision that's right for you. And then if you go in with that mindset, like all the decisions that are that you make, you can sort of couch in that way. And it's a more positive way of going about in the world. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So here's some, some elves about the book. I thought the avoidance of strictly linear narrative was usually pretty effective. It's a very clinical way of saying that, Andrew. <laughs> the story could go wherever it wanted to go. And the book broke form with different images and additional media. Like there were like scans of poems that she'd written when she was a kid. Uh, lots of photographs of her when she was a, a child, like bringing in sort of artifacts that she was that referenced the story. And I thought that was cool. And um, I think was a good way of sort of heightening the, the message that she's like, I'm not talking from a position where I have a complete insider picture of my entire life, but I can show you some cool stuff that's happened. And I can try to tell you the story the best way I can. And so it, I thought that that helped with it not feeling like she was giving you the definitive version of things. Man, you're really making me wish that I had uh, read the physical copy. Me too. <laughs> I might have to. Well, I think that the both, I mean, but I also didn't get to hear the cool narration. That's so like, true. I think there's benefits and drawbacks either way. I know what Amy Poehler sounds like. I can imagine it. <laughs> Another elf uh, was that it felt very familiar and it felt guarded at the same time um, because it but it was okay because it felt guarded and it was aware of being guarded. She like told the truth about what she didn't want to tell the truth about. Yeah. Um, yeah. She, I, this book came out pretty close on the heels of her rather public divorce, but like, she was like, I'm not going to get into that. And she'll, she brought in other things and, and explained her story while being clear that she was intentionally not talking about something. So you didn't necessarily have this mystery of, well, well, why isn't she talking about her divorce or anything like that? I mean, and who knows how honest it, it was, but it, it genuinely felt honest. And I, that's a credit to how she wrote and how she um, acknowledged that the, there wasn't the whole story that you, you were going to get from her because, you know, you were not owed that. Yeah. And that's a difference from bossy pants because she kind of, Tina Fey just kind of skips over meeting her husband and all that. And I'm just like, it's kind of makes it stand out more when you don't mention it or you don't acknowledge that you're not mentioning. Yeah. I wonder, um, because I think uh, bossy pants came out first. I wonder if Tina Fey was like, hey, note, because they're obviously very good friends. She's like, oh, I wish I had included some kind of tag. Like, I'm not going to tell you about this. I wonder too, if it's possible, if it's a difference between like, Funny, there's like these funny people should write a memoirs versus like, Bailey, remember when you read Samantha Irby for the podcast? These people are professional 
essayists, like the Roxane Gay, Samantha Irby people, where it's like, no, we are trained how to deal with like these really difficult times in our lives and how to write about them. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just different. Like Andrew said, when you feel you have the parasocial relationship where you feel like, yeah. you know that they're married, you knew that they had a kid. Like, why aren't they talking about it? And especially it's something I know about. Yeah. And especially Amy Poehler, Tina Fey and Mindy Kaling at the same time, they're like, they're not famous for being themselves. They're not like standups or anything. It's like, mm-hmm. no, they're very great comedy writers. They right. write stories. Yeah. But we know, but they also have partners that are famous too so then makes me interesting (laughs) what (laughs) you sounded like no i totally understand god no that's honestly (laughs) straight up that's how i felt like yeah you're right i'm not owed this story but i want to (laughs) know i'm not owed the story but i want that gossip (laughs) i guess it's just a testament to how telling somebody your intentions ahead of doing something helps um one last quick elf i like that she didn't pretend to have it all figured out um it, as I said, it was meant to be that dispatch from an ongoing life versus like a final reckoning. And I think that that helped, especially when there were some things that didn't necessarily land because it was like set in stone. I was like, I was willing to forgive some things um, that I feel like didn't make a whole lot of sense. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, and moving on to my orcs. I wish I'd read this when it came out. <laughs> and there's one very specific reason. She constantly references Louis C.K. as like being a paragon of introspection and like how literally how to <laughs> apologize well. Ooh. Like there's literally she does a chapter about apologizing and like references like the lesson she got from Louis C.K. about guilt and Ooh. how to apologize. Yikes. And it was just oh, like boy. that doesn't, it doesn't hit the way you want it to hit anymore. I'm so sorry. Sorry. And oh. I mean, that's not meant to be like a slam on Amy Poehler. Like, who knows? Like, I'm, I'm sure she's like has incredibly complicated feelings about that. But, you know, just hits different. Yeah, that's rough to have, you know, this like moment in time written in a book. And it's it's like that forever when yeah, stuff changes. On a less weird note, like things have just changed since this came out. And it's not Poehler's fault, but it affected the reading experience. Like she talks a lot about the relationship she had right after Will Arnett and speaks with it, about it with a certain permanence that it did not end up being. And so it like sort of makes you you feel a little bit like you're having this insight that I mean I am I can't know what was going on in your life but like I I know that you're no longer in that relationship so like the insights you're getting from it don't make don't hit quite as uh fully yeah a final sort of orc and sort of an overall sort of frame to take into the book was when the book switched to advice I was less and less enthusiastic not because necessarily it was all bad advice or anything like that it was good advice for the most part like very good advice but I was having fun learning about her life and the insights that she had Mm -hmm. into it with sort of distance and I wasn't necessarily reading it worrying about my own life and so it was more fun when I was getting her insights about what had happened to her. And then when it became like sort of broad speaking advice, which certain like certain chapters are like literally bullet points of advice. And it wasn't that those were bad. It was just like, that's not what I wanted to read in the book. I wanted to know about, you know, what it was like coming up in the comedy scene. Mm-hmm. And so overall, just I can say like if the book is considered in two halves, like the half that's that's more like a straight up memoir and the half that's more of an advice book, even though the advice is sometimes telling in cheek and often very funny, uh, I much preferred the memoir parts of it. Andrew, do you often read uh, self-help books like yourself? No, I'm perfect. Why would yeah. I need to be helped? <laughs> uh, no, I, I genuinely, I, it's a good question. I, I haven't read a lot of self-help books. Um, so it, it could be that I'm not familiar with the genre and that maybe that there's some 
more subtle like uh, parody that's going on that I that I'm missing. But it just uh, it just wasn't my favorite. Good for you, not for me. (laughs) (laughs) Some advice. Oh yeah, there was one other thing that I thought was a funny thing. She like calls out UCB for being really good because they didn't charge to perform, and I was like, you kind of charge to perform because you got to take the class. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, um, So looping back into my elves, just real quick, I didn't call this out, but I did think it it did a good job of being like written form funny, uh, which I mean Mm -hmm. makes sense. She's a comedy writer who's incredibly accomplished. But like, I I oftentimes find that I don't like find jokes in books as funny. And I don't mean like, I don't find things funny in books, but like literally things that are presented as jokes in books because you're reading it. It's just a different experience from hearing it sometimes. I totally know what you mean, Andrew. And I think that's why I, I enjoyed the audiobook. Yeah. 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 But I thought this was I thought this had a good batting average of written jokes that actually were uh, landed in the written form as well. I would. Which is so hard to do. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah, for sure. I, that's true. Like there's mm-hmm. a lot of books that I would say are funny books that I never laughed once while reading. But I acknowledge <laughs> that they were funny. <laughs> You say like, LOL, yeah. it's like, I exhaled strongly for that book. <laughs> and sometimes like the the form breaking helped with that. Like at one point she like says, I'll wait and then takes like a three, three fourths of a page paragraph break <laughs> with nothing on the page and then comes back into it. Things like that. Nice. And so, yeah, overall, I'm torn on how exactly to rate this. I think I rated Bossy Pants three stars and I hate to compare them because, you know, they are different people despite being, you know, intrinsically linked in the public's imagination. I did think I enjoyed this slightly more than Bossy Pants, but I think it's a three and a half for me and for the sake of keeping my internal rankings correct i'll give it four i'll round it up this time Mm. yeah um yeah and i mean you can't legislate for things feeling different it is true at the time she wrote it so like the criticisms about things changing with retrospect aren't necessarily fair so i sort of have to write those off as orcs but something to know if you're going into reading it for the first time now yeah absolutely i just got a mental image when you said write those off as orcs of just like an orc getting like a pink like a (laughs) getting (laughs) fired sorry you've been let go from sauron's army do you guys ever worry that we have new listeners and they're like why are they talking about orcs and elves well, no, that's why we have the 15-minute glossary at the start of every episode. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thanks um, for what, doing that, Dylan, by the way. This is what orc means. This is what elves mean. This is what shame means. Well, thank you, Andrew. I don't remember what I rated it, but I think that three and a half, four is pretty solid. I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tobin, do you have any facts on Miss Amy Poehler? I absolutely do. Are you interested in my facts? Yes, please. Yes, and? So, Amy Poehler uh, was born on September 16th, 1971. She's an American actress, comedian, writer, producer, and director. I'm not going to go into very many life details at all because Andrew covered some of them, and if you're really interested, you should read this book. After she studied improv at Chicago's Second City and Improv Olympic in the early 1990s, she ended up co-founding the improvisational comedy troupe Upright Citizens Brigade. That's the one that Bailey, me, and Toby have taken. And Andrew, you didn't take any UCB classes, right? Andrew? Nope, I didn't take any UCB classes. I've never been trained. Andrew's self-taught. He's classically trained. <laughs> classically trained, yes. He he does it by sight. No, he, he does it by ear. Okay, that doesn't make sense. Um, Quick, Toby, tag out, tag out. <laughs> she is also, along with other members of that group, a founder of the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, which has a center that you can go to in Los Angeles. In 2001, she joined the cast of NBC sketch comedy series Saturday Night Live. Heard Heard of it? it. I feel like Andrew started saying that, and now it's worked its way into my (laughs) lexicon. She became a co-anchor of SNL's Weekend Update in 2004 until she left the series in 2008 to star as Leslie Nope of the NBC sitcom Parks and Recreation. And Pejos, if you've never seen Parks and Recreation, throw your phone into a lake and turn on your TV and watch it right now. But you could probably skip the first season. (laughs) (laughs) 
she has also performed uh, as a voice actor in many, many films, notably Pixar's big hit Inside Out. Pixar's big hit Inside Lewin Davis. <laughs> <laughs> She's the cat. Um, in December 2015, Polar received her star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. She also has won a Golden Globe Award for Best Actress in a Television Musical or Comedy Series in 2014 and a Critics' Choice Award for Best Actress in a Comedy Series in 2012. She and Tina Fey both won the 2016 Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Guest Actress in a Comedy Series for co-hosting Saturday Night Live. She was born in Newton, Massachusetts to school teacher parents Eileen and William Poehler. Amy gives a lot of credit to her father for encouraging her to break social protocols and to take risks. She cites her comedy influences as Carol Burnett, Gilda Radner, and Catherine O'Hara. When she was 10 years old, she played Dorothy in her school's production of The Wizard of Oz, and she says this inspired Poehler's love of performing. If you want to see a picture from that production, read Yes, Please. Oh, so Pages, I don't mean to dig up dirt. But I do love a little dirt. Um, And there is this really intriguing sentence on her Wikipedia page that is corroborated by many, surprisingly many, news outlets. Here's the story. In 2016, it's a very short story. In 2016, Polar received a letter from the city of Beverly Hills for her excessive water usage during the state of California's drought that year. Polar's property used 12,000 gallons of water per day. What? The average LA resident at that time was using 196 gallons a day. Wait, is there more to it? Guys, I tried. I tried pretty hard. But unsurprisingly, Amy Poehler has not chosen to speak on this aspect of her life. There is no concrete information as to why she used this much water. Um, Although several of the publications that I looked at were like, if you know, please email us at. So, hey, you know what? Good for her? Not for me. Wait a minute. (laughs) That's... She's got to have a water park in her backyard. That's a lot of water. Yeah. It was a whole thing, apparently, in 2016. Like, in Beverly Hills, there were guys, there were people who were using, like, quadruple what she was using per day. It's crazy. Anyway, so the rest of this is an interview with Entertainment Weekly. Uh, The interviewer is Stephen Lee. He asks, and this is about, yes, please. He asks, what is the process of actually writing the book like? How did it take shape? Polar answers, as I say in the book, I'm used to being better in the room and prettier in person. When you're writing a book, you have none of that improvisational charm. The book has a jacket. The jacket's supposed to keep the book warm, and it never changes. Haha. <laughs> it was interesting to tackle the expectations and weird societal pressure of what writing a book meant. I happen to be, luckily and fortunately, at a busy time in my life with young kids and a lot of work to do and a lot of change happening in my life. I wanted to not pretend that it was easy. I've learned a couple of things about myself over the years I've been alive, and one of the things I like is hard work, and I don't like pretending things are easy or perfect. I wanted to try to write a book from somebody who felt like they were trying to negotiate a lot of things in her life. There's a stereotypical version of that, which is, quote, working women with so much on her plate, close quote. But truly, women especially are playing so many different roles and doing so many different things. I'm kind of too old to be cute and too young to be able to look back on my 40 years of show business. That's why it's not a typical memoir. It's essays and real and fake advice. I wanted it to feel like a scrapbook or a journal of my life so far. Sounds like she was successful. There you go. Yeah, I think that's accurate. So the, the interviewer says, so you weren't all always writing upright at a desk with three freshly sharpened pencils. And Polar answers, I always had the fantasy that I would rent a cabin in Big Sur and that I would dress for writing and I would talk to magazines about how I'd like to turn off the phone and wear comfortable sneakers. The reality is when you have little kids, when you're shooting a TV show, I wrote it like I hacked away. I wrote it when I could and I did it the way most people have to figure out their lives. I gave it attention when I could. I went back to what I know, which is I 
tried to be honest. I tried to be funny, but I had to let go of that idea that creativity comes out of stillness. I find that creativity usually comes out of chaos. Ooh. It's pronounced chahos. <laughs> uh, sorry, sorry, chahos. The interviewer asks, what was the most fun part to write? And Puller answers, I had a lot of fun writing the UCB history because it reminded me not only of a time when I was young and skinny and I got a lot more sleep, it also reminded me of a time when I felt really proud of the big risks that we took because we were young and didn't know any better. It felt nice to go back there and talk about my years in Chicago at Second City and Improv Olympic and starting the theater at UCB. I felt like I was talking about something that was bigger than myself, something that had taken on an energy that I couldn't fully claim or be responsible for. Uh, and here's the last question. What's an interview question you'd prefer never to answer again? And she says, ooh, that's a great question. Uh, well, I kind of want to answer this not seriously, because if you answer it seriously, then suddenly you have to answer the question. Let me think of a good joke for you. And then there's brackets and it says polar thinks. I guess the question I hate people asking all the time is what young actress are you having sex with these days? <laughs> I'm, I'm like, enough enough, guys. This is my private life. Leave me alone. Good one. There you go. A little bit of Polar's life for you. Well, thank you for those lovely facts, Toby. Mm, yes, please. Yes, please. Yes, please. <laughs> well, excellent. Well, that is Yes, Please by Amy Polar. Four stars. Yes, please. Yes, please. I should say that the bookend of that is thank you, because that's what it says in the back of the book. Aw. Oh, nice. Mm. Bailey, yes. would you like to tell us your review of the book you read? Yes, this please. <laughs> no, okay. Yes, maybe. I read a book this week as well. You're welcome. My book is called The Imperfectionists. It's by Tom Rockman. Dylan's mom gave me this stack of books a few years ago of like recent titles at the time that she had just read. And I was excited, but I'm still digging my way through them. And I think that was like 2013. Um, <laughs> so we'll get to it, Eileen. <laughs> and this is one of them. The Imperfectionists. It's really... It's not so much a novel as um, a collection of interconnected short stories. And it follows the journalists and publishers, people in accounts payable, readership, etc. of a, an international newspaper stationed in Rome. And the author, Tom Rockman, it says on, in the book cover, also wrote as a journalist in Rome. So I'm wondering how much of it is inspired by his real life, or it seems like he's very familiar with that world at a minimum. And the stories are, you know, darkly funny. You've got a lot of interesting characters um, that all kind of have twisted relationships. I don't know if there's one healthy relationship in any of the stories, but it's one of those books where it's like, you'll have one story with the Paris correspondent and he's, you know, his marriage is falling apart. And then there'll be a, a little interstitial talking about how the paper was founded. And we'll go to the next story. And this is about the guy who writes the obituaries. And as you keep going, you know, they might reference each other, like use each other's names or say, this person did this thing, which follows up on how a previous story ended like you might not know what happened with them and you'll find out from a uh, subsequent story but really they could all stand alone so the french dispatch you're basically describing the french dispatch it's very it's pretty similar to the french dispatch honestly how twee is it it's not that twee i would say oh, okay. it's a little less twee than the french dispatch and a little more wee oui, wee oui. <laughs> But otherwise, very similar, um, because as in the French Dispatch, this newspaper is not doing well and going out of business. So, oh, and Owen Wilson's <laughs> there. I don't know why. Um, these are my elves for the book. I think that Tom Rockman is a really solid writer. He has excellent imagery, lovely turns of phrase. Here's an example. This is the first line of a story. She has been dreading tomorrow ever since it happened the first time. Where you're like, that's mm -hmm. mysterious. I want to know more. And by the end of the story, you understand what 
that line means. And be, maybe because of his journalism background, the writing is very matter of fact, at the same time, like feeling poignant. His characterization is excellent, which is crucial when you have short stories following these different characters. I'll give you a little taste of that. So this is just, again, at the beginning of a story, a character, the uh, copy editor is describing the other copy editors. Dave Belling, a simpleton far too cheerful to compose a decent headline. Ed Rance, who wears a white ponytail, what more need one say? And Ruby Zaga, who is sure that the entire staff is plotting against her and is correct. So like he has a way of very quickly summarizing characters and you immediately understand this person that he's talking about. It's crazy how like those descriptions line up exactly with the four of us. (gasps) Yeah. (gasps) Wait, does that mean I'm the one... (laughs) that you're plotting against? Well, I mean, you don't have a white ponytail. (laughs) So yeah, so I thought this was really a good read. I read it really quickly by nature of the structure. Like if you're not crazy about a certain story, you know there's going to be a new one in a few pages. And so you can kind of speed through knowing it's going to change it up. But I will say that on the orc side. It does feel like a first novel. He feels like he's still figuring out how to put a book together. And what I think is my biggest critique is that a lot of the stories end at the most climactic point and you never really get Mm. the resolution, except in future stories, they might reference, oh, you know, those characters got a divorce or something. And then you kind of find out what happened. But in the moment, it's like you're not in the room where it happened and that's where you want to be. And that can be kind of frustrating. Yeah. So it's like the copy editor, like he looks up and there's a falling piano. And then like two chapters later, they're like, oh, yeah, that piano got him. Oh, yeah. Then he got divorced from that piano. Honestly, it's not that far (laughs) off. Like no falling pianos. But like here's another example. There's one um, story that has to do with revenge. And you get to the point where there's the reversal and you realize, oh, man, this person is going to get back at this person. And the story ends. Um, Uh, And so it's like, uh. well, but I wanted the satisfaction of him getting justice or whatever. So that can be a little frustrating. Um, I think if this were to be made into like a movie or a TV show, they could kind of get more, flesh it out more, you know, add more Owen Wilson, add more Timothy Mm -hmm. Chalamet, maybe, you know, the editor is like a Bill Murray type and maybe make it more twee. But all in all, (laughs) all in all, I enjoyed it. It made me want to read more of his books. And I looked up um, his name and he had a book that came out recently called The Italian Teacher. And so I, I added that to my theoretical to read list. Um, on Goodreads, thinking like... I'll Your give planned shame. My planned shame, exactly. I'll give it a shot, but I enjoyed it. And I might even keep it on my shelf because it was a good Ooh. exercise in characterization and I enjoyed it. And thank you, Dylan's mom. All in all, I'll give it four stars. Molto bene. M- mezzo bene? Molto bene. I don't know. I don't speak Italian. Well, earlier in the podcast, I said we oui, we oui, when trying to make an Italian joke. <laughs> so you can tell that my Italian is really good. <laughs> Uh, well, Toby, do you have any facts on, on author Tom Rockman? Um, sort of. Um, I have a, 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 like a very short little biography and some facts, but honestly, this is one of those authors where they are not huge in the public eye. Um, he's done inter- interviews and stuff, but as far as bio details, there's not much, but that's fine. So Tom Rockman, uh, was born in London and raised in Vancouver. He worked at the Associated Press as a foreign news editor in the Manhattan headquarters, then became a correspondent in Rome, as Bailey said. He's also reported in India, Sri Lanka, Japan, South Korea, Egypt, Turkey, and 
elsewhere. To, uh, to write fiction, he left the Associated Press and moved to Paris, supporting himself as an editor at the International Herald Tribune. Later, he was managing editor of Persuasion and served as a juror for the Giller Prize. His writing has appeared in the New York Times, the Atlantic, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, and the New Yorker, among other publications. Elsewhere. Ooh. He lives currently in London. That's all we got on this guy. Mysterious figure. Enigmatic. Think what you will. Uh, so the rest of this is from an article from The Guardian. I'd hesitate to call it an interview, but it's actually very appropriate for our podcast because it's basically a series of questions having to do with the books that he is reading or has read. So it's almost like he's on the show, guys. Oh, hey, Tom. How's it going? Oh, good. Hi. <laughs> these titles of these quote unquote questions are like like this. The book I am currently reading. That's the prompt for his response. So the book I'm currently reading, and his response is, when asked this question, writers often list 493 books, all on their apparently capacious bedside tables. Of the 493, I've typically heard of two, which raises questions. One, am I an ignoramus? Two, does every author read faster than I do? My list is two and a half books long. First, Masha Gessen's The Man Without a Face, about Putin. Second, Martin Amos's essay collection, The Rub of Time. (gasps) Friend of the podcast. Friend of the podcast. Last, Daniel Deronda by George Eliot, for which I'm crediting myself only half a book. I've been in a troubled relationship with it for a year. We keep getting back together. I know it won't work, but I can't end it. (laughs) Well, I understand that. The book that had the greatest influence on me, any collection of George Orwell's essays that includes politics and the English language and why I write. The first essay taught me how to identify blather and that clarity is a form of courage. The second, with its confession to the petty motives behind writing alongside the noble ones, encouraged me to be frank, even if facing scorn for it. Here's a here's a question I think we can all relate to. The book I'm most ashamed not to have read. <sighs> has to do with shame, has to do with books. Guys, it's like he's on the podcast. The Imperfectionist. Books are a poor cause for shame. Disagree. When there are so many better places to apply it. Still, I panicked before one of my first public readings, fearing that the audience might spontaneously quiz me on great works I'd never read. The nightmare never materialized because an audience hardly materialized at all. Just one rickety couple in the last row. She stage whispering, Walter, wake up. The young man's talking. (laughs) I'm less frantic about my literary gaps now. In a lifetime, one only has so many books, which is good reason to never feel shame at quitting them when the deserving multitudes still await. Disagree. The book I couldn't finish, again, interesting for this podcast. I once read an interview with Gabriel Garcia Marquez in which he declared that 100 Years of Solitude was a stinky poo. No, that's not what he said. I was like, really? (laughs) (laughs) I once read an interview with Gabriel Garcia Marquez in which he declared himself too old to keep finishing books that he didn't like. His admission became my permission and I started stopping. Wow, that's a sentence. If you want names, here are just a few of the reportedly great books I've broken up with. Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace, Underworld by Don DeLillo, and Gravity's Rainbow by Thomas Pynchon. But he's sticking with mm. that George Eliot. There is, a, there is a slight theme in the books he doesn't seem to finish. Definitely. <laughs> yes. This is the last one, which is my earliest reading memory. My first memory of reading is of not reading. Everyone in my family devoured books. I, the youngest, felt like a dunce. In a foggy memory, I recall a copy of James and the Giant Peach and Dickens on tape, although you might not count that reading. We do. Um, only in my mid-teens did I discover the bliss of books, and I haven't stopped since. Uh, and those, Pejos, are my uh, facts about this author. A little skinny, but, you know, so is this guy. <laughs> 
Yes, Kenny. Oh, well, awesome. Well, thank you, Toby. Um, and that is The Imperfectionist by Tom Rockman. Four stars. Four stars. Um, Andrew, do you have a game for us this week? I do. Would you like to play? Yes, please. The game. Yes, please. Absolutely. Oh, dang it. I missed it. <laughs> Did I already lose the game? The game this week is called Slatterday Night Live. <gasps> it's a dumb game dear listeners, but I think you might enjoy it. So the way this game is going to work is I have taken an SNL cast member from the current crop or from the past and added one letter to their name. This new name gives them a new job. And I'm going to ask you, uh, after giving you a sentence, to guess their new name. So for example, Clue might read something like this. This former writer, star, and senator also tries to eat cats. And the answer to that would be Alf Franken. Ah, love it. Nice. The alien tried to eat cats. All three of you are permitted to play. You can uh, buzz in by saying Slatterday. And there are five of them. Whoever gets the most out of these five uh, is the winner. Make sense? Yes. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. But let's see how the (laughs) heck you do. (laughs) Bring it on. This current weekend update anchor would fare well at medieval times. Uh, Me. Uh, Slatterday. Slatterday. Toby did it correctly. That would be Colin Joust. That is overwhelmingly correct. Well done, Toby. Yes. One point for you. I forgot Thank the you. word I was supposed to say. <laughs> Slatterday. <Okay>. Slatterday. <laughs> All right. One point for Toby. Well done. You ready for the next one? Yes. Mm-hmm. This former star may have gone on to different projects, but she could also go into business as an arborist. Mm-hmm. Always the bridesmaid. Um, Slatterday. Bailey. Mm. Oh, I know what it is. Maya Rudolph tree. Slatterday. Uh, well, no, Slatterday. T- Toby went in first. Uh, who is Kristen Twig? That is correct. Kristen Twig is uh-huh. the correct answer. Well <laughs> done, Toby. You are one point away from securing victory. Oh, yeah. All right. Ready for the next answer? Yeah. Ready. This current cast member could shift into the bakery game in no time flat. Uh, Slatterday. Mm, Dylan. Michael Chef. Uh, no, I'm saying bakery specifically, and that's an important detail. Oh. That was that was solid, though, Dylan. Yeah. May have gotten a breakthrough in the movie Pop Star. Oh, uh, Slatterday. Uh, Dylan, I hope you get it this time. Chris Bread? That's right, Chris Bread. Oh. <laughs> Very nice. Well done. Okay, this former star may be a ladies' man, but boy, could he make some money fixing up clocks. Blocks? Clocks. Clocks. Tick-tock. May he may be a ladies' man. Uh, Slaughter Day. Dylan. Uh, Time Meadows. That's ah. right, Time Meadows. Well done. I w- This is my my process. I was just thinking, Tim, <laughs> Tim, <laughs> Tim who? <laughs> I see him literally. It's like Pete Davidson. <laughs> yeah, that's what I. That I was trying to think of how Davidson was turning into something about time. Well, there's still one more because Toby or Dylan could win, or Bailey could get it right, and no one could win, and that's really. <laughs> Everyone winning in a way. Yeah. All right. This current cast member could switch careers and be a relationship guru in no time. This one may be a stretch, but you're going to have to answer it. Uh, Slatter day. Mm, Bailey, please, please ruin this for everybody with an answer to this question. Kyle Honeymooney. Nope. That would be, yeah, <laughs> well, that's it's not great. early in a relationship, typically. Oh, uh, Slatter Day. Dylan, this is for the victory. This is the most important thing you've ever done. Get this right and <laughs> oh, you will no. live in, in history. Is it Dady Bryant? Oh, no, because that's not technically, that's not quite right, but you're in the right realm. Think of somebody else with a name that sounds like that. Beatty. <laughs> <laughs> we, we're not. I want to be like 
Blank Jordan. Michael. Oh, I got it. Uh, Slatterday. Toby, take the victory from the jaws of defeat. Ruin Dylan upon the rocks. Mikey Date. There you go. Oh. oh. Keenan Thompson. Uh, awesome, Andrew. That was a fun game. Yay. Yeah, it's especially fun because I won it. All right. Good game, Andrew. Excellent work. Good game. Fantastic good game. game. Good game. Good, good game. game. Good game. Good um, game. Now it's time for uh, Dylan to be the winner. It's time for Dylan to choose books at random from our shelves to read next. It's time for The, the Choosing. The Choosing. We're the musical guest. The Choosing. <laughs> hey, Andrew. Hey, Dylan. <laughs> Would you want to solve what books you have? Uh, sure. <laughs> what? <laughs> it, That's it's a very... sentence. Wouldn't you want to solve Sorry. what books you have next? Would you want to solve the mystery of it? Maybe Terry Bradshaw could help you. Or the penguins. Oh, okay. <laughs> or a pirate, perhaps? Because, Andrew, you have number 50, The Mysteries of Pittsburgh by Michael Chabon. Well, that, I'm excited. I've never read a Chabon before. Um, oh, really? And I love the city of Pittsburgh. So... I'm excited. But why do you love the city of Pittsburgh? It's a mystery. Because uh, Jillian lived there for two years and I grew fond of visiting her there. No, it's a mystery, Andrew. Aww, Andrew it's that's very no, I, sweet. No, I figured it out. I, I think <laughs> I solved the book. Maybe I don't have to read it. <laughs> Man, I find myself really hoping... I've read Cavalier and Clay, The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay and the Yiddish Policeman's Union and really liked them. I wonder if this is the best Chabon to read. Ooh. We'll find out. It's a mystery. Uh, what about my book? Well, I don't know, Billy. First, you have to answer me a question. What? Who is he? Who? What? Who is this guy? Huh? Voldemort. Who is number 67, The Man of My Dreams by Curtis Seddenfield. Oh. Dylan, you're the man of my... It's a book about Dylan. You're the man of my dreams. Okay, cool. It's a book about Wallace. (laughs) Wallace the cat. Uh, This book, um, I think it's okay to say that my father, our father, has a habit of giving us sort of random books at Christmas. And I realized years later it was because he ran at our church like the book fair part. And I think he would just like grab books. Sometimes I would think, okay, he really, you know, was thoughtful about this. So I would save books for a really long time. And this is a book I've saved that he gave to me. But Curtis Sittenfeld, I really like her book Prep, which was her first novel. Um, And this, I think, is the follow up. So all I know about it is that my dad thought I would like it. And I liked another book of hers. So we'll see. Yeah, that's actually a fair amount to know about a book. That's true. Yeah, that's pretty good recommendation. Yeah, Mysteries of Yarmouth. The Mysteries of the Man of My Dreams. Oh, there's the title. Oh, boom. Guys, work done. Wait, no, because (laughs) next week on the podcast, I will be reading The Man of My Dreams by Curtis Sittenfeld, but Toby is going to be reading The Time Traveler's Wife by Audrey Niffenegger. So, you know, The Man of My Dreams, maybe he's a time traveler? The Man of My Wife. (laughs) I don't know. So tune in in two weeks to find out about our dreams and time travelers. Thanks for listening to the to read list. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the to read list podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads, Instagram, and the story graph at the to read list podcast. And if you want to help us find more listeners, a good way to do that is on this very podcast app on which you are listening to this, particularly if it's Apple Podcasts. If you could leave a rating and a review, five stars is our preferred option. It does help more people find our podcast and grow our listenership and Keep this hot content coming in your ears. Oh, God. Um, (laughs) 
Also, if you um, if you happen to be a member of a strange squad of newspaper writers, um, if they keep asking you for book podcast recommendations, you can tell them all. You can tell them to listen to the to read list. Word of mouth is our best advertisement. You really trust uh, when your friend tells you to listen to a podcast. So please, if you know a bookish person in your life, uh, recommend this podcast to them. We really appreciate it. Thanks to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for sound recording, and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for composing our intro song. See you in two weeks. Happy reading. Books, 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 books. books, books, books. books. books.